0: Let's take our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. And I'm in Proverbs chapter 29. Just three more chapters. This is the last chapter in Proverbs that has all these scattered comparisons for us. The last two are a little bit different, as probably you well know. Proverbs 29. I started we started our journey through Proverbs in May of two thousand nineteen. But it, we won't we won't make three years, so you don't have to get worried about that. We just have well I say that, but I don't believe that'll happen. We've only got three chapters left, but a lot of a lot of things in here we need to consider. And some more tonight. Proverbs twenty nine, verse one, the Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy, that's one of those verses that I encourage people to memorize. That's a good verse to memorize. Matter of fact, if if our kids would have to quote that in school all the time, instead of, uh, you know, quoting the Lincoln's Gettysburg Address or something, have them quote that. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy, when the righteous are in authority, the... People rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. In the transgression of an evil man there is a snare, but The righteous doth sing and rejoice. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. Scornful men bring a city into a snare, but wise men turn away wrath. If I had to title this, and we're going to pick up a few more verses besides just the first eight, God willing, It would be Hard Necks, Wicked Rulers, and Expensive Harlots. That's a good title, isn't it? In verse number 1, he says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Without remedy, that is, there is no... There's no cure, there's no remedy, there's no help, there's no... Nothing that can be done. There is no possibility of coming back from this or recovery from this situation. No cure for for the individual that continues to be reproved, and he hardens his neck. And God says, "You know, okay, that's it." And he just suddenly destroys. There's no cure. There's no remedy. That, that's what makes being in a church and growing up in a good family. It's a wonderful blessing. But it can be also dangerous because to whom much is given, much is required. And if we get reproved over and over again, and in, and it'll do one or two things with us. Either God will work on our heart to tender us, or and will allow that, or we'll just harden our neck. I'll say this, there is no help for somebody that hardens their neck against God. There's no help for a young person that hardens their neck against authority or their parents, or there's, when you harden your neck against preaching, and I think that's probably a good thing of the subject here, he that being often reproved, and of course, that happens or should happen at church, right? I said that should happen at church, right? right, right. So, so if you go to a church and you're often reproved, you have a choice of what you're going to do with that. And you can either open your heart and receive it, or you can harden your neck. It's sort of like that. Anybody ever work with mules? Brother Jerry, maybe we need to get Brother Jerry and Brother Larry up here to testify or give us a little illustration here. You ever worked with an obstinate mule? Just a stubborn mule that would just harden his neck? and You know, God is likening that to our problem with him and his reproof and his words sometimes. And how, how many times we see somebody that's rebellious and they just they just harden their neck. They don't want to hear it and they don't appreciate it. And God says, if you keep doing that, number one, the word of God's not going to have any effect in your life. The longer you go, it'll just roll off of you like water off a duck's back. It, it won't have any effect on you anymore because the harder your neck is, the less church helps you. And the less the word of God makes a difference in your life when you get hard to it. People get hard, they harden their necks for a lot of reasons. Maybe they don't like the person that's given the reproof. But it really doesn't matter. The result's going to be the same. If you you can only have a a perfect authority reprove you, then uh, there's no hope for your life. Because you'll never have that. You'll always be able to pick at your reprover. But see, reproof is not about the person doing the reproving. It's about you. It's about what you need to listen to. And so there's danger here. There's a warning here. Don't harden your neck. And over and over, people get hardened to their parents. And, and pretty soon, and that's why sometimes parents, they don't, they don't do a very good job of understanding how the Bible tells us to train children. And the, hard, the harder the neck of their child is, they think the more severe they have to be with their attitude. In other words, if I try to correct my child and my child does not get in line, then then I'm supposed to get louder or more forceful. Well, where does that end? If it ends in corporal punishment and you're doing it in anger, then you're, you're so off base, you are training a monster and you don't even know it. You're training somebody to have anger issues. You're training somebody because you have anger issues. You're training somebody to be bitter. So so it's not that, that we just get more violent when our young people get harder. No, we need to show them how soft and tender we are to God. Guys... The, the, the young generation has hard necks against authority because they've learned a lot of that from us. And we're, we're not as tender as we need to be. We are not as quick to repent as we need to be. And, and the danger is somebody continues to get reproved and they get the right instruction they need, but they get harder and they get harder and they get harder. And then pretty soon God says, all right, I mean, it's just like, it, it's as quick as wringing off a chicken's neck. He says, He that's been often reproved, heart of the neck, shall suddenly. There's no warning with God. You know what? God is so long suffering. Guys, He puts up with us and He puts up with us. And we come to church and He speaks to us and we don't do anything about it. And He still has patience with us. Does He not? And He puts up with our sins and He tries to reach us. He tries to speak to our hearts. He sends the Spirit of God to move upon us to convict us or, or to reprove us and, and bring us to the place of conviction in our life. He works in our conscience and He puts up with us so many times and we don't, we don't really change the way we ought to change. And He continues and He continues. This is what the Bible says. There comes a point where He says, if you're going to continue to harden your neck, then suddenly... it's like that sudden wreck I had. Guys, there's barely time to put on the brake. I mean, there's nothing you can do. Something that comes suddenly, there's nothing you can do about it. And God says, you keep hardening your neck. Well, the destruction comes suddenly and there'll be no remedy. Because when, when when God's fed up, He's fed up. And it just comes down like a hammer. Is that not what, or what he says in Thessalonians? He says, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. That's that's going to happen to our world. Why? We've got a world, we've got a country, we've had the greatest preaching in all the world for hundreds of years in this country. And God's had long has been long suffering with our country and given us every opportunity, given every generation the very best that he could ever give anybody. And we have over and over, country, people, generations hardening their neck, not, not yielding to God, not submitting to God, just rebelling against the will of God. And then God says, all right, you're finished. And there's no time to Pray. Well, that's not fair. No, what's not fair is God continuing to speak to you and you're not listening to Him. That's, what's, that's the dangerous part. And, and I've, watched, I've watched young people oftentimes with that as they grow up in their lives and they get hardened to the correction of their parents and to the correction of their authorities and the correction of the Bible. And they don't understand. The harder their neck gets, the closer they're coming to that quick sudden destruction, and there's no cure for it. There's no remedy. There's no remedy for someone that hardens their neck against God. There's a lot of preaching that verse. I won't do any more, but that's a verse that that you need to digest. Because, uh, and then people say, well, the the destruction comes suddenly. Well, why'd this come? Well, you know, you can't just ignore God. We've got to call this. Call the church this week, you know. He's living in his car with his family. Living in his car. And calling the church for help. Well, Here's my question. Why didn't you call the church for help when your family needed help years ago? Why is it just when the sudden destruction and you're homeless? It just doesn't make any sense. But that's human nature. That's the foolishness of depravity so that's the hard next you don't want to have one have a tender guys and you think sometimes maybe why do i try to overemphasize we don't have altar call all the time but what i try to emphasize that because what what i really what we really need in our church we need tender hearts guys we've got to have tender hearts and mom and dad's got to have a tender heart and young people have tender heart the Lord's not going to do anything in their lives unless they have a tender heart when they get an obstinate neck nothing happens in their life and our church needs a tender heart that's where God can work in our church So, so whatever stiffens your neck you ever got a crick in your neck you ever got a stiff neck it's painful let the Lord work that out So that's hard next. You don't want one. Well, let's look at wicked rulers. Verse 2. This could be a description of America right now, today. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. So this shows the importance of, of leadership, the importance of godly authority. Whether that be in the home or in the nation or in the church. It causes the people to either rejoice or the people to mourn, depending on who is in leadership. This, that is, this is such an a, a important principle, and the reason that we guys, the reason that we have in our country such such misery, is because we have wickedness ruling. The people are mourning everywhere; they're crying over. Uh, their families—they're crying over uh, their their plights of life. They're cl- crying over their economic situation or inflate whatever. When we have more than anybody in the world, people are mourning. and They're crying over and they're mourning and, and and they're consumed with all the issues and and the problems in the nation and the division and and my family and all that. Be- it goes back to leadership. Dr. Robinson said everything rises and falls on leadership. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Rejoice! When's the last time Americans rejoiced together? But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Now notice he says the people mourn. He didn't say, he's not, he didn't say the godly mourn. He said the people. That's, that's people that know God, people that don't know God. That's the thing about unrighteous rulers or wicked rulers. It doesn't, just, it doesn't affect one person. It affects everybody. When the wicked are in authority, everybody cries. Everybody's got problems. And When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. God only knows when's the last time we had the righteous people in authority. But, but you know what? That, that ought to make me want to be a righteous ruler in my home as a dad, as, as a husband. Right? Because I want those in my house to what? Come on, help me now. i I got more to say. I, if the righteous are in authority, the people... So if you've got a righteous guy in the house, then people ought to be... But if you've got the wicked in authority, then there's a lot of mourning, there's a lot of crying. Now, I'm not saying that covers every situation and everybody's home and everybody's life, but this is a wise principle from the Bible. Now, there is a, look at verse 6, though. There is something else I want to say about that. You say, well, preacher, okay, so we got wicked people in rulership, and so we're just going to go around mourning and crying. No, look at verse 6. In the transgression of an evil man, and I I think this evil man could even refer to this wicked ruler. In the transgression of an evil man, there is a snare. Watch this. But the righteous doth what? Sing and what? Do you know what's true about the righteous? We can sing and rejoice no matter who's ruling. Because we ought to have a different ruler on our heart. There ought to always be a song in your mouth. I love singing... Hark the herald angels sing t- 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 tonight. That hymn by Charles Wesley had such great doctrine. He was born to give them second birth. What a line. What, what Second Adam from above, reinstate him in thy life. Lo- what, what a wonderful phrase. I could sing tonight and rejoice. That doesn't mean that everything in my life is peachy. I'm still living in a country where the wicked bear rule. I see news every day that grieves my soul. But you know what? God says the righteous, it doesn't matter what that, that evil man, what he's doing, how he's transgressing. We're not a part of all these people. We're a different group of people. We are, the, we are the righteous and we can sing and rejoice in spite of what's going on with the wicked. Guys, if that wasn't true, then Christians couldn't have been singing for 2,000 years. But we have been singing for 2,000 years. Amen. They sang through the the Inquisition. They sang through the Dark Ages. They sang through persecution. They sang through Nero's day. They sang when when their loved ones were being set on fire. They were singing. They were singing in jail. Christianity is real because it doesn't depend on everything in my life being right. It depends on Jesus. And so I can come in here and sing. Aren't you glad you get to come to church and sing and rejoice? Wow, it's all wicked out there. Yeah, but it's fine in here. You say, wow, did you see the law? They passed and now they... You know, okay, Whatever. It's fine on, on the inside in here. Heaven's good. I can come in and sing. I'm telling you what, the devil's done. The devil's stolen a lot of the people of God's song. And just because the wicked's bearing rule and the evil man's in charge does not mean you cannot sing and rejoice. While the people are mourning, we need to sing. Because you know what? We, we know who's coming. We know there's, there's coming a better ruler. So these wicked rulers. Matter of fact, look how many times that word "wicked" is found in in this text. "Wicked" is a, a word used in Proverbs a lot. Verse two: the wicked beareth rule. Verse seven: the wicked regardeth not to know it. Verse sixteen: when the wicked are multiplied. Over and over, he talks about these wicked people. In chapter twenty-eight, if you recall. In verse 28, when we ended the chapter, Proverbs 28, 28, when the wicked rise, men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. Verse 15 of chapter 28, as a roaring lion and a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor. There's always been wicked people. And I would say this, not always, but it might be that God gives wicked rulers to wicked people. It might be that God gives dementia rulers to dementia people. It might be that God gives perverted rulers to perverted people. Because we do believe through our study of the book of Daniel that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And he giveth it to whomsoever he will, to the basest of men. So, look, if there is a wicked ruler, don't think that God took, it, took him by surprise and said, Oh, what are we going to do who is in the White House? So many times God gives the rulers to the people that they deserve to have. Mm. Look at Isaiah. I, I gotta read this because it's it's so twenty twenty two. <laughs> I, I mean it, it's just the commentary of our day. Somebody ought to take this and Amen, plaster it on the wall of the Supreme Court or something or other. Isaiah three. So God gives rulers sometimes. Guys, we we have wicked our country's wicked. Right. Why shouldn't we have wicked rulers? Our country is insane. So, why shouldn't we have insane people ruling? Right. It's filled with perverts. You wait till all the perverts get up there. We, we're, not, we're not even going that to that degree. We're headed there. Yep. And it's all a judgment of God. You say, oh, what are we going to do if a pervert gets in the White House? We're going to sing. <laughs> we're going to say, Jesus is still coming. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to Wednesday night prayer meeting. Amen. I'm going to witness to people, I'm going to give the missions. Amen. And by the way, we decry the leadership that, and I, I I have, that are found in the churches of our nation. We, we have, we have some of the, some of the weakest, need, spineless, men in pulpits of 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 churches that won't talk about sin. but, but 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 you know what? Before we decry that, maybe they have the pastor they deserve to have. Maybe our situation is what is deserved. People never want to look at it that way. I'm in Isaiah 3. He says uh, when God starts judging, in verse number 1 he talks about taking away... The stay and staff of bread and water. And in verse 2, He takes away the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent of the ancient. God starts taking away these people from a society when He judges. Are are you listening? God takes away good judges. He takes away mighty men. He takes away men of war. Verse 3, The captain of 50 and the honorable man. He starts taking away from the nation the honorable people. And the counselor, those that always were good counselors. He takes them away. Why? Because he's giving them judgment. He's not going to give them a counselor. And the cunning artificer and the eloquent order. Has anybody noticed that we don't even have have people that can speak anymore? God says, when I start judging people, I take away the people that that can talk good. That that shows the degradation of your society. I just take away all the good good men, the good people that were in in your nation. Verse 4, And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. He's doing this in judgment. He's giving them their rulers. And the people shall be oppressed. Well, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient and the base against the honorable. When a man shall take out... Well, let's see, drop down to verse... Verse 10, say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given in. Verse 12, as for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy path. The Lord standeth up to plead, and standeth to judge the people. God says, when I judge you, When I judge a nation, I'm going to let children rule over them. I'm going to let babes be their rulers. I'm going to let women rule over them. I'm going to allow them to be oppressed. I'm going to cause all these things in your nation as a part of my judgment. But the great thing right in that text is why I read verse 10 to you. But to the righteous, he says it's going to be well with us. Isn't that a blessing? If the women are the rulers, if the babes, if the children are the rulers, if all the honorable are taken away. He says, if, if you're a part of that group of the righteous, it'll be all right with you, it'll be well with you. God will take care of you. What a good promise. So wicked rulers shouldn't cause us to be depressed because God has a promise in the midst of that for us. Now these wicked rulers, what do they do besides rule? The Bible says in verse number 7, "The righteous consider it the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it." The wicked is not concerned. He is not considering the needs of anyone else. He's not he doesn't even want to know. One of the principles or characteristics of a wicked individual, he doesn't even want to know the problem. He doesn't want to know the people that are in poverty. He doesn't want to know the people that have a need. And that goes right to us as the church. We We ought to be righteous people, not wicked people. There are people with serious problems, and there are problems that are bigger than problems just in life. There are eternal problems. And a wicked Christian would say, I, I don't want to know that. I don't want to know about all the people in the world that are dying and going to hell. I don't, I don't, I don't even want to hear that. Aren't you glad God's not that way? The Bible says about the Lord in Psalm 103 verse 14 that uh, He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He considers where we are. Man, when I pray, a lot of times I do that, I say, God, Just remember, I'm I'm just dust. I'm dirt, God. And God says, yeah, I remember that. i I never forget that. You know, sometimes we, we don't want to consider where people are because there's just no concern there in our hearts. We don't want to consider the need of their souls. So the wicked regardeth not. The wicked beareth rule. The wicked regardeth not. just doesn't care. And then verse 16 says, when the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. When the wicked are multiplied. So an increase, that, he says, transgression increaseth. So this is what he's saying. The reason that we have more transgression in our society is because we have more transgressors. The more transgressors you have, the more transgression you have. That is why our big cities are places of multiplied wickedness. Now, there's wickedness on the farms, guys, in sparsely populated areas. But when you concentrate the transgressors, you have created an incubator for transgression. So we've got all these Places that are filled with these transgressors and wicked. And the wickedness just grows and grows and grows. The transgression grows. By the way, isn't that... What about that? Next time you're around somebody talks about somebody being trans. Use a Bible word. Okay, yeah, like transgressor. The Bible's always up to present day. Isn't that something I got to think about? Okay, how does you're a transgressor? That's how God talks about us. And He says, "The people, but don't worry about it, the righteous shall see their fall." Don't get bent out of shape with, with the transgressions multiplying. Oh, what are we going to do? Let's go buy our our, our you know our, our sea rations and and all. You know, what are we going to do? Well, he says, we'll see their fall. You know, just like like Noah saw the fall of all those transgressors that multiplied, just like Moses and the children of Israel saw all those transgressors uh, drown in the Red Sea. He says, don't worry about all that. If you're part of the righteous... By the way, that's another thing. Wicked people, that's a designation of lost people in the Bible. So many times the phrase, the wicked refers to people that don't know God. They're not in God's family. Now, we, I'd say we ought to define wickedness because if we're talking about this wicked ruler here, what what makes people wicked? The Bible says we preached on it, First John 5, 19, the whole world lieth in wickedness. What is wickedness? We don't just want to say the word wicked. What is it defined to be? Well, you see some wickedness right there in verse 3. Proverbs 29, 3, Whoso loveth wisdom rejoices his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. That's that point about expensive harlots. Harlotry, spending your company with harlots is wickedness. He said over there in chapter 30, He talks about that that harlot, that wicked woman, and what she does is, in verse number 20, the Bible says, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. Adultery is wickedness. And David said, talked about the great wickedness that he had done against God in committing adultery. We live in a wicked and adulterous society, and it's wicked. And so, and, and it costs something. That wickedness costs something. It not he says he spendeth he that keepeth the company with a heart spendeth his substance. I mean he runs out of everything. He spends all his money on his on, on his horse. That's exactly what the what the, the boy did in Luke 15. He wasted his substance with riotous living and spent it on that wicked lifestyle. And it just didn't cost him his money, which Harlotry does. That's expensive enough. But it costs something else. He says in verse 3, Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father. If, when, when, so, when a child gets involved, or, or a young person, or even adult, gets involved with adultery, it also costs the family something. It also hurts the father. When you think about that prodigal son and all of his uh, demise in the hog pen, you can't ever quit thinking about dad back there his heart it cost him the rejoicing of his heart and we've already talked about that about how our pa- our parents we ought to uh, spend our lives in things that cause them to rejoice and many times people don't they don't care about that they don't care how something affects their parents and so the rejoicing here or the cost here is not just to the person committing the act. It's also a cost to mom and dad who has to bear the the heartache of it. He says that in chapter 23. We won't go there. But we're trying to define wicked. What does it mean? So you think about that. So we're talking about wicked rulers. When's the last time we've had a ruler that didn't believe in committing adultery? <laughs> Guys, wicked rulers are not just people that, that put a stamp on... Uh, the alphabet people. That's not the only wicked ruler. Wicked rulers are people People that, that commit adultery. So wickedness is adulterous. How about pride? Over and over the Bible talks about our pride as a wicked thing. When's the last time we really had a humble ruler? If you don't want to be a, a wicked dad or, or a wicked father or, or or a wicked husband or a wicked parent, then you need to be a humble individual. Because pride is is a wicked thing, and we don't we don't need wicked rulers. How about uh, imaginations being wicked? He said that in Proverbs six about about a heart that devises wicked imaginations, and we know the heart is desperately wicked. So people's imaginations are wicked. Murder is wicked. Which killing the babies? That's wicked. Abortion is a wicked thing. He says the men of Sodom were sinners and wicked exceedingly. Sodomy's wicked. But, but it's not just that. It's so many other things that define what a wicked ruler is. Jeremiah 1.16 talks about those that were given to idolatry showed their wickedness, just putting something else before God. Anybody that rebels against God is wicked. Anybody that tries to remove God uh, from their life or try to remove the Bible from their life or from society is wicked. I'll give you two other things that, that, that mark a wicked Ruler. Jesus said in Matthew 18.32, He calls somebody a wicked servant. You know what made him wicked? The servant was forgiven, but he couldn't forgive nobody else. Paul, what a definition of wickedness. When God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive anybody else. Jesus also gave another definition of wickedness in Luke 19.22, when He talked about giving... Talents to a steward, and that steward took that talent and he hid it. You know the story. And when the Lord came back to meet him, he said, "Oh, thou wicked servant!" You know what he did? He just didn't do something with what God had given him. You know what's wicked? When God's given us so much and we don't do anything with it, it's wicked. When God gives us an ability and we don't use it for Him, and God gives us a life, we don't. It's wicked. To take what God's given me and do nothing with it. God classifies that as wickedness. So, you say, well man, we're all wicked. Yeah, we need to remember that. But the good thing, even wicked people can get forgiven. Nehemiah and Ezra, they're praying that, you know, we've done wickedly. But there was forgiveness with God, you see. You know why? Because Jesus made his grave with the wicked. That's Isaiah 53. He took our place so that He might cleanse us and fill our lives with Himself, the righteous one, and change us so we don't have to be those wicked people that we are. Well, this wicked ruler, verse 4, what else is characteristic of his rule verse number four the king by judgment establisheth the land but he that receiveth gifts overthrow it here's if you got a ruler that would rather take a kickback rather than bringing forth justice God says he's a wicked ruler because a king can only establish the land by judgment which is something we don't have in our country that's why our land is not established it's not established And he he said that over there in chapter 28, verse 5. Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all all things. So a king, a a wicked ruler is somebody that just will not bring judgment. He will not bring justice. If he gets something out of it, he won't let justice have its place. Mm. What a commentary on our nation. Verse number 8. Scornful men bring a city into a snare, but wise men turn away wrath. Those scornful leaders are wicked leaders. That's a scorner, someone that scorns the Bible, scorns the truth, scorns God, mocks God. And when leaders are scorners, the nation is ensnared. That's what he says in verse 8. Scornful men bring a city into a snare. We're snared because we have people that don't respect God and don't respect the truth. And they make fun of the truth. And so our cities are ensnared. That's what he says in verse 6. In the transgression of an evil man, there is a snare. Our country has been snared because those in authority scorn the truth and don't delight in the things of God. And they don't turn away wrath. Verse 8 says, Wise men turn away wrath. Who are the wise men that are turning away wrath from our country? You say, preacher, well, if we just had saved people in... It don't have to be saved people. It just has to be wise people. Do you know the king of Nineveh was a wicked heathen man? Wicked. But when the reproof came, that goes back to verse 1, from a backslidden prophet... And he preached the word of God. That The, the ruler, what did he do? He repented. And that ruler, by his repentance and wisdom, turned away wrath from the whole city of Nineveh. And he didn't even know God. You don't even have to know God to turn away wrath. You just have to submit to the truth. And appreciate the truth. And not be a scorner to the truth. And a rejecter of reproof, you see. So, uh, question... Are you such in love with the truth that God will turn away wrath from from your home, from your church? Are you one of those wise men that turn away God's wrath? If that king of Nero can do it, yeah. Well, I got one more verse. Verse 12 about this ruler. Got to get that verse in. If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. A wicked ruler is a man that loves lies. He listens to lies. And that lie may be in the form of flattery. You see verse 5? A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth the net for his feet. That goes back to our previous chapter in verse 23 when we talked about flattery. A wicked ruler is someone that's delighting in lies instead of the opposite, which is that reproof. And this is what's true about that wicked ruler. This is true about the White House. If a ruler hearkened to lies, all his servants are wicked. That means all the people that are managing him are wicked and are bringing forth wickedness from his place of authority because they're his servants. They're the ones that are doing all the dirty work. Guys, do we not know our rulers have handlers? And their handlers are wicked. And you know why they're wicked? Because the ruler loves a lie instead of loves the truth. And when you love a lie instead of the truth, God will give you wicked people to serve you. And will lead your life in a different way. That's what Ahab was. He he loved lies, so he had plenty of wicked servants that would tell him to. But David said, Psalm 101 verse 7, He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. David said, "If you're a liar, you're not even going. I'm not even going to look at you. You're not allowed in my courtroom."